Well, Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Good to see. It's good to see everyone. Good to see everyone here. We're we're going to talk a little bit about today about the three almost disciples, and we'll get into what that means here in a minute. But you know, we, we hear about Yeshua going to people and him saying, "Follow me." Right? Let me ask you a question. Do we ever see Yeshua come to someone and say, "Follow me," if it's convenient? <laughs> Do you ever say, "Follow me"? It's going to get hard, but well, just follow me if you just feel it's easy. No, not at all, guys. Yeshua said, follow me. And that's, that's a life laid down. That's a dedication. And he's showing us path of discipleship and showing us how to walk after him. We see literally in the life of Yeshua how the Torah is supposed to be lived in our lives and among us. And so it's the perfect example to follow. The thing is, let's face it, there are, there are things that we all kind of have ideas with and we all want to follow up to a point. What Yeshua asked us to do is to follow without condition, love without condition, follow him regardless of whatever the world tends to be, regardless of whatever happened. A disciple of Yahweh is not a part-time job. (laughs) This is a life being laid down and a life being in the presence of the Father, to walk in covenant with the Most High. That's an amazing place to be but it's not something you can give yourself to half-heartedly. That's why he always says, if you search for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. He didn't say, if you just search for me occasionally. Now, granted, he's there for you, okay? When we turn to him, he is there. Uh, You know, we talk about the story of of Peter when he cried out to Yeshua, when he stepped stepped out and he started to sink and he cried out and immediately Yeshua reached out and grabbed him, right? So like immediately he was right there for him. But do we have the faith to even step out? Do we have the faith to, to truly follow him? You know, another thing, when we, when we surrender our lives to Yahweh, that's exactly what we do, guys. We surrender our life to him. So let me ask you a question. If you have, as an example, two armies and one surrenders to the other, does the one surrendering get to negotiate the terms of their surrender? <laughs> No, no. We surrender, and Yahweh says, these are the terms. And fortunate for us, the terms are, follow me. Nothing more, just follow me. See, he paid the penalty for us. The wages of sin is death. He paid that penalty for us. And he says, now I just want you to have a relationship with. I just want you to walk with me. And so what we find today, and we're going to start off in Matthew 8, when we, when we throw today, we find three men who came to Yeshua and they, sa- and they said, we're going to follow you. And they had these great ideas of what it meant that they were going to follow. And I'll put it this way. They may have been very well-intentioned, but how many of you know good intentions doesn't follow through? You can't just be good intention. You got to be committed. See, there's a difference. Good intentions like, okay, well, th- th- when things become hard and things become difficult, it's like, okay, well, maybe, maybe I, I need to rethink that. But a commitment it doesn't matter what the circumstances are because Yahweh is still Yahweh in the midst of our circumstances. He is still Yahweh no matter what storms of life may come. He is still the one who rules. He is still the one who reigns and he is still the one that we follow. And he promised that he will see us through. And so we need to follow him. And so today as we go through these, these, uh, these three men we're gonna talk about, I'm not gonna ask you which one of these three are you because that's not the point, okay? The point is not which one of these three are you. The point is don't be one of these three. <laughs> And let us see truly what it means to follow him in the midst of all this, okay? 
So uh, we go to Matthew 8 as we start, Matthew 8, verses 18 to 22. We read, so now when Yeshua saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to go to the other side of the sea. When a Torah scholar came to him, he said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, did he put any conditions on that? No, he, he said, I will follow you wherever you go, right? And Yeshua tells him, foxes have dens, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And then another disciple said, Master, first let me go and bury my father. But Yeshua tells him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. See, so it's kind of, it seems kind of harsh as you first kind of read that. But guys, there's more to the story here than we see in Matthew. You know, when the Gospels were written, it talks a lot about the same, same, same circumstances, the same things that happen, but from four different perspectives, right? We find a lot of the same stories, a lot of the same things, but it's written from four different people for four different points of view. And so there's some things we're going to find about this. We're going to see the rest of the story as we go over to Luke in that. But before we do that, here's the question for us to think about as we're, as we're looking at these three men. When things don't go or look the way that we think they should, which by the way, be honest, that's just our understanding of life. What is our response? Do we follow Yahweh because he is Yahweh, because he has covenant with us and because he knows more than us? He, he knows greater than us. And he just said, follow me. He didn't say we have to understand him to follow him, did he? Because his ways are higher than our ways. Now there are things he will show us along the way. Absolutely. There are things he will reveal to us along the way. But if we say in our mind, well, Yahweh, I will follow you as long as I understand it, then we have zero faith. Because faith is how do we follow when we don't understand? How do we follow when we don't get it? Can we still follow when we don't understand? See, that is faith. To say, you know what, Yahweh, I don't understand it. I don't get it. But you said you would be with me. You said you would lead me. You said you would follow me. So that's the thing. Do we follow in faith anyway? Unfortunately, what happens and we see it more and more is that when, when people say, okay, I have this relationship with Yahweh and I'm one of his children and then something bad happens in our life that we just don't have a good reason for or we don't understand or we can't comprehend, then we somehow think, well, God failed me, either that or God doesn't exist and we walk away. And what really we have to come to terms with ourselves is were we really serving Yahweh or are we really serving our idea of who we think he is? There is a difference. Because see, if we're serving him, then it doesn't matter what happens in life, guys. It doesn't matter if we understand it. It doesn't matter if we get it. He is who he says he is. We follow him. He will show us along the way. We can gain understanding, but there are things we may never understand. But yet, if we say, no, this is the God that I serve, and I will serve him as long as he, this is what happens, let's face it, we're making an idol and calling it Yahweh. And when things don't happen the way that we think they should, then we walk away from our idol and say we walked away from God because God failed. What do we serve? Do we serve the one true living God or not? And sometimes things will happen in our life. Like this, these three men who came to Yeshua, he addressed each one of them where they were at. And we don't see the record where, the, where any of these three men decided to follow him. So once they came to him, he, he responded to them and we don't see that they followed. So what happened? Okay. So this is meant to encourage you. This is meant to uplift you and meant to give you, give you a warning. It's saying, don't be this guy, <laughs> okay? And so when we come back here to the end, we will, we will work of, of what Yahweh is desiring for you and to do, okay? So now we go to Luke for the rest of the story. Luke 9, verses 57 to 62. So as they were traveling on the road, someone says to him, I will follow you wherever you go. But Yeshua says to him, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay to his head. And he said to another, follow me, but that one said, first, let me go and bury my father. 
But Yeshua said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And then another also said, I will follow you, master, but first let me say goodbye to those in my home. But Yeshua said to him, no one who has put his hand to the plow and looked back is fit for the kingdom of God. A couple of things we're going to look at here. We see three different people, three different reactions, three different things that were going on here. Okay. So we go to Luke 9, first off, this man number one. He says, I will follow you wherever you go. Well, how did Yeshua respond? Okay, Yeshua replies, I don't have anywhere where I'm staying the night. I don't know where I'm going. Foxes have dens, the birds have the nests. I've got nothing. Are you willing to do that? See, Yeshua replied this, are you willing to give up your security and your comfort to follow me? Are you willing to give up a comfortable lifestyle to follow me? Are you willing to give up the security of that to follow me? Man number two, Yeshua called this man out, right? He was kind of voluntold what was going to happen. <laughs> Yeshua said, you, follow me. And what did he say? He didn't say, oh, no, I'm not going to follow you. No, he called him out, said, follow me. And the man replies, first, let me go bury my father. But Yeshua says, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, it seems kind of harsh to say this, but, but think about this for a second, guys. We're not told how old his father was. We're not told if his father was sick. We're not told anything about his father. He just said, let me bury my father. So this could have been a matter of, you know, I got another 10, 20 years to go. Let me bury dad and then I'll come follow you. I mean, think about when you read some, some, some of the stories in the scripture, like Isaac, you know, as he says to Esau, son, go hunt this game for me so that I can bless you before I die. 20 years later, he's still alive, <laughs> you know? I mean, so we don't know the scenario or what was really going on here, okay? So, so he could just kind of be saying something about this time. We'll come back to that. Number three, he says, I will follow you, master, but first let me say goodbye to those in my home. But Yeshua says to him, no one put, a hand, does put his hand to the plow and look back. It's fit for the kingdom of God. So he's like, I will follow you, but let me go home and throw a farewell party. And he says, don't delay, don't look back. You know, you're procrastinating. What, what, how, how, how do these three men respond? How are they called out? So let's, let's kind of break into this. One, the first man, we'll call him the precipitate disciple. He was hasty. He spoke before he thought about it. How many of us have ever done that? <laughs> How many of you ever spoke before you thought about it? How many of you have committed to something before you thought about what it meant? <laughs> it's kind of what this man was doing. Okay? He spoke before counting the cost of discipleship. The other one, the procrastinating disciple, he was willing but delaying the call. He wanted to follow but on his terms. And the third, the irresolute disciple, he was wavering in the call. Let's look at these. First, the first one, the precipitate disciple, he spoke before counting the cost. What does scripture tell us about this? Luke 14, 26 to 33 says, if anyone comes to me, but does not love less than me, his father, his mother, his wife, his children, his brothers, his sister, and besides even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his torture stake and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. For who of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has the things to finish. Even in the natural things, if you're going to do something, even just like a building project or working in the home or remodeling or doing an addition, whatever it is, you first need to sit down to say, do I have the money or the means or the loan or whatever to accomplish the task that I have before me? Because what last thing you want to do, if you were remodeling a home, you say, okay, we're going to knock down that wall and do an addition. You got the money to knock down that wall, but don't have any money to put up another wall. <laughs> You're going to be bearing the consequences of that for a while, right? So you got to, you got to make sure you, you, you're, you're willing to have everything there that you need for the process. Verse 29. 
So that having laid the foundation, not having enough to finish, seeing those begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and did not have the strength to finish. Or what king, going to attack another king in war, does not first sit down to take counsel whether he's able to 10,000s to meet those coming upon him with 20,000s? That seems like good advice, doesn't it? <laughs> if the king's getting ready to go to war, doesn't he want to know who he's going to war against? Right? This is how many troops I have. How many troops do they have? Where are they coming from? You know, what's, what's going on here, right? Verse 32, but if not, he being still afar off, sending a delegation, he asked for things of peace. So then every one of you who does not forsake all his possessions is not able to be my disciple. What he's saying here, like he said, it's like he started off with anyone who does, who does not love less than me. So Yahweh is the center of everything is what we're saying. He is the reason why we live. Everything else pales in comparison. And everything that we have, it's given from him anyway. Everything that we have, it's from him, it's by him, it's for him. So we return to him anything that he asks because we know he's blessed our lives for, with everything. Even if you have the ability to work, he's given you that. The very air in your lungs, he's given you that. The strength that you have in your body, he's given you that. And so everything that we have is because of him. And so this is what we're looking at. We, we, our lives are all for him. Ephesians 2, 20 to 22 says, you have been built on the foundation made up of the emissaries and the prophets with Messiah Yeshua himself being the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple for the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into God's dwelling, a place in the Ruach. As his people, we are a place for him to dwell. Now, here's the thing. Yahweh says that he will dwell within you as an individual, as a person, as someone in covenant with him. He dwells and lives in you. But that also means you're connected to the person next to you in whom his spirit is as well. And we need to be a people to come together to be a place for him to dwell, a place for his presence. You know, Yeshua said, where two or more are gathered together, there I am in the midst of them, right? Do we believe that? And so are we willing to be a people set apart for his name, a people for him to dwell? Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. It says, to put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life that is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. This is a daily decision. Every day we decide what we're going to do, and we may not wake up in the morning and say, you know, okay, first thing, I'm going I'm to write down on this piece of paper, these are the plans I have for today. I, I honestly don't know anybody who does that, <laughs> okay? But that's not what we do. What we do is we make the decision within ourselves, I'm living for Yahweh today. You, you decide what you're going to do. You're either going to purposefully live for Him or... Just everything that happens around you is going to dictate your life. But if we're living for him, he says, I set before you today, life and death, blessing and cursing, choose life. And so that's what we are to do. Every day, we make the decision to walk with Yahweh. We're his people, but we make the decision to walk with him. And in and, and that, we're learning every day. We're learning and, and we're walking with him and being in his presence every day and looking for the opportunity to, to be a, 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 someone in his kingdom here and now. You know, every day we have an opportunity to share the heart of the Father to someone, someone around us. If we're out in the world, there's an opportunity somewhere. If we just pray, Yahweh, open my eyes so that I can share your heart with someone today, and he'll, he'll do it. He'll do it. Because there's somebody out there that needs to hear what Yahweh has done for you. You can be that person to help bring life and light to them right there in that, in that need, okay? First Peter 1, 13 to 16 says, Therefore... Prepare your minds for what? Action. 
Therefore, prepare your minds for action. And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Yeshua. As obedient children, see that? You can, you can make the choice to not be an obedient child, but how much better if you are, right? How much better is your life if you are? To walk in, in a place of unity instead of walking in discord. To walk in a place of, of presence and joy and peace instead of always having that peace erupt, right? So walking as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And that's what scripture has told us to do. We are holy not because of the things that we do. We are holy because he is holy and he has set us apart as a holy people. And as his holy people, he said, these are the things that I desire for you to walk with me. These are the things that I desire for the life that I have set apart with, and that's what we do. We're walk, learning to walk with him along the way. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Ruach HaKodesh, who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. And that's what we're looking at. If we belong to him, then at what point can we say, yeah, but I have rights. Do you really? Because if you belong to him, I think he's the one who gets to tell you what you, what you do. See, that's what we say. He is, he is my savior, but guys, he's also my Lord. He's my king. And if he tells me to do something, I don't think it's a suggestion. I think he wants me to do what he says. And so we lay our lives down and we follow after him. I don't belong to me. Because when I belong to me, I did a great job of having a rough life. When I belong to me, I did a great job of messing my life up. But when we surrender and we give our life to him, he can do more with our life than we ever could. And besides, we're talking about eternal issues, right? We need to live for things that are eternal, not just things that are here that will pass away. And so whatever we're going through here, remember that. You know, if you're, if you're in the highest of highs and on top of the mountain, this too shall pass. If you're in the lowest of valleys, but in life, Yahweh is there, and him we fall, right? He is constant because the eternal things are what remains when the temporal things. Okay, Matthew 7, 21. Yeshua says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, perform many miracles in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Get away from me, you workers of lawlessness. Guys, it's not about these things that they were doing were wrong or these things they were doing were lawless. He said, you worker of lawlessness because he said, I don't know you because of the relationship. You can do the right thing and not know Yahweh. You can do the right thing the wrong way even. We've talked about this before. What about King David when he wanted to bring the ark back to Jerusalem? That was a good thing. That was noble, but he did it the wrong way and somebody died. So we can do the right thing the wrong way. The question is, are we willing to follow him to lay our lives down for him and follow in this way. Okay, next, a procrastinating disciple. He was willing, but delaying the call. He wanted to follow Yeshua, but on his terms. <laughs> we ever done that? I think if we're honest, I think, you know, some point, somehow we've all done this to some degree. You know, Yahweh, I'll follow you and I'll do that. And then he says, hey, I want you to do this. And you're like, eh, I rebuke you, devil. <laughs> really? I think we need to learn the difference between preference <laughs> and discernment. <laughs> you know, we need to follow him and just to see how he wants to reveal himself to us. And then we follow. We learn to lay our lives down because that's what he said. He laid his life down for us, right? We lay our life down for him. First, uh, 2 Corinthians 6.2. 
So he says, at a favorable time, I listened to you, and in a day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is a favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to follow Yahweh. He has given you today. Let's follow him. And if he gives us tomorrow, let us follow. Let us not delay our pursuing the heart of the Father. You know, a lot of times, if we, like I said, if we don't wake up and, and have intentional, we are going to serve Yahweh today, there will always be things that get filled up in our schedules that will keep us from doing what Yahweh desires for us to do. Some of you have heard the story that I gave. I, I, I remember when I was a kid, knowing a man who said, you know, I just wish I had more time to read my Bible and pray. You know, adult, worked, had things he had to do, responsibilities, everything else. He said, you know, I, I just, and, and he just said this a lot. He said, man, I just, I just wish I had more time to read my Bible and pray. He got in an accident, broke both his legs. Not severe, okay, but he broke both his legs. He'll recover fully. But guess what? Now he has plenty of time to sit there, <laughs> read the Bible and pray. <laughs> I'm not saying God shall smite you if you do this. But what I'm saying is we need to make the decision of what is important. And when you make that decision of what is important, that's what you fill your day with. Because if you don't, the day will just happen to you. But if you purposefully fill your day with what is important, with what gives life, with what is reassuring, with what gives hope, to give these things, this is what you fill your life with and this is what will be returned to you and will come from you as well. When you follow after him, we not, don't delay in that. That's why we read in Psalm 119.60, it says, I hasten and do not delay to obey your mitzvot. And Yahweh says, this is what I desire for you. It's not like, yeah, I'll get to it. <laughs> this is what I desire for you. Yes, Lord, I do. And so we follow after him and we seek his heart in the midst of all that. Proverbs 27.1 or 27, says, do not boast for tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. James 4.17 says, therefore, whoever knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. It doesn't say that, oh, if you just do all these wrong things, that's sin. No, he says, if you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, to him it is sin. So even just inaction can be a sin. See, how do you violate the Torah? To violate the Torah, you do not have to come against the Torah. All you have to do is simply not do it. By not doing Torah, you are violating Torah. Because the Torah says, these things you shall write it on your heart and you shall put it on your gates that you may do. So he writes these words in our heart so that we can do. Okay, Acts 26, 28, King Agrippa. When Rav Shaul, here he is, and he's, he's, he's being brought before all these rulers and being pounced around back and forth for these false accusations, which, by the way, they were given, they were false accusations against him. And here he speaks to King, King Agrippa. He says, King, King Agrippa, you believe the prophets? I know you believe. And King Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. He's like, he's saying all these things. He's testifying the Messiah, testifying of all these things he's been through. And King Agrippa says, yeah, you, yeah, you almost got me. But we don't have a record where he actually professed anything different. Are we there? Are we like almost serving? God, I'll serve you almost. I lay down my life almost. Are we delaying almost? Okay, next. The resolute disciple wavering in the call, going back and forth. Now, this point I give here kind of ties in with two and three, okay? But just, I don't want to give it too early, so we give it here, okay? First off, delayed, wavering, procrastinating. We see an example in Deuteronomy 25, 17, and 18. 
It says, remember what Amalek did to you along the way as you came out of Egypt, how he happened upon you. That word happened upon you doesn't just mean coincidence. It means like he came up upon you. Happened upon you along the way, and he attacked those along you who all were in the rear, all the stragglers behind you. When you were tired and weary, he did not fear God. So the word for straggler is hashal. Hashal, uh, also etymologically related to azal, which means lays or distance yourself. So they were in the distance. Here's the thing, guys, I want to I point out. Scripture says when they came out of Egypt, there was not a weak or feeble one among them. So what does this mean? Is this a contradiction? I don't think so. I think physically, they were there. They were physically capable of walking out. Even, even the old ones, they were physically capable of walking out. And we know, you know their sandals didn't wear out and they walked and they did. Spiritually, though, were they ready for it? You know, they, they, they thought they were, they walked out and they followed. But, but Yah himself said when he brought them out, he didn't take them the quick route. He didn't take them the quick way because if he did, immediately they would see war and then they would possibly turn back. So it's not that they weren't physically capable of doing it. They weren't spiritually capable. They weren't spiritually ready to face what they needed to face in faith with what Yahweh had for them. And so they first had to learn to put faith in Yahweh, right? That's why what happened at the sea with the dividing and the split and Pharaoh's armies not getting into all that, but it was a test of their faith that they would do that, right? So what happened here? It says that those who were stragglers behind you. So straggling, it means to distance or to be lazed. Behind is the word achar, meaning to procrastinate, to defer, to delay, to be slack. So these are the ones who, that were attacked were the ones who were procrastinating in their following, procrastinating in their obedience, procrastinating. In their, these are not the ones that stood close to the tabernacle. These were the ones who were kind of at the edge of the camp, not fully in, not fully out, just close enough, you know. These are the ones who were attacked. But yet, this is the lesson that we have here. Amalek didn't fear Yahweh, so he attacked those who were straggling behind. Which leads to the thought, when do attacks come in our life? Do attacks come when you're on the mountaintop and you say, just like, yeah, it's great, and this is so awesome, and man, I'm having such a great day? <laughs> Or do attacks come like on your way up the mountain or on the way down the mountain, right? When does the adversary bring these attacks? How about this? Not just when you're strong or feeling weak. Here's a question. How can the strong become weak? How about doubt and double-mindedness? Doubt can kill your faith. I know that seems like a, like, a, like, a, like a duh kind of statement, but doubt can kill your faith. That's why we're told to stand and have faith and don't doubt. That's why we, we pursue Yahweh in life. Don't doubt. Because if you doubt, then we're double-minded. We're going back and forth and back and forth. Same thing like the people that were coming out of Egypt and that ones that Amalek attacked. They weren't like fully in. Notice it didn't say they were perfect. No, just are they following? Not fully in, not fully out, just kind of on the edge. Where are we at with our faith? Are we in? Are we following wholeheartedly? One of the things that caused doubt is, let's face it, it causes doubt in our life when, when life doesn't happen the way that we think it should. And that's exactly what happened with Israel right before Amalek attacked. In Exodus 17, 7 and 8, it says, He called the name of the place Masa and Meribah because of the strife of the children of Israel, because they tried Yahweh, saying, Is Yahweh in our midst or not? And then Amalek came and fought Israel and Rephidim. Israel, they got to a place where they said, Is Yahweh with us or not? Can you imagine? They, after, I mean, they were in Egypt and they just saw you know, all these amazing things. The 10 plagues. They came through on dry ground. The sea split. They walked through. Pharaoh's armies tried to follow. Didn't work so well for them. They just saw these amazing things. 
And then here they get to this point where they're saying, well, is God with us or not? Really? You're asking if he's with you? You know he's with you. So what brought them to this point? We go back, we look. Back to Exodus 17, one through three. And all the congregation of the children of Israel, they set out on their journey in the wilderness of Sin, according to the command of Yahweh, and they camped at Rephidim, and there was what? No water. There's no water for them. Therefore the people strove with Moshe, and they said, give us water to drink. And Moshe said to them, why do you strive with me? Why do you try Yahweh? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moshe, and they said, why did you bring us out of Mitzrayim to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? I mean, consider what's happening here. They came out after all these amazing things and they come out and now they, now they get to this place and let's face it, you're in the desert, you need water. <laughs> you're not gonna make it too long if you don't have it. So they get to this point where they don't have water and after all the things that they had just miraculously experienced, you think they could have just said, uh, hey Moses, you know about this water situation, we need water. <laughs> what can we do, right? Instead of just kind of approaching Moses, what did they immediately do? Oh, they're grumbling and they're complaining. Moses, you brought us out here to die. How many times did they go there? Moses, you brought us out here to die. Why did they, why did they like default back to that so many times? Because things aren't where we're at right here, right now. Life was better when I was in bondage. No, it wasn't. Why don't we just return to Egypt? You mean where they were killing you and your children? You know? No, see, when life isn't going the way that we think it needs to go here, we, we revert back to something else. Oh, it was better when, and actually it wasn't. We need persistent. We need to be consistent in our faith and to follow after him. Yahweh definitely provided for them, and he definitely gave them the water that they needed. But are we grumbling and complaining about life along the way? These are some things that, that, that we learned there. So Amalek came and attacked the people when they were coming out of Mitzrayim. They were coming out of bondage and slavery. They were uncertain of their future. How many of us have been there? None of us know what the future holds right? So they were uncertain of their future. They were unsure of Yahweh's ways and paths, okay? We know that he's leading us, but we don't know exactly where we're going or when we're getting there, right? We're leaving everything behind that we've ever known, and we're now walking in a way that seems strange. Think about it. We're now walking in a way that we've never experienced before. That's because all you knew was Egypt. It's because all you knew was bondage, it's because all you knew was to how to be oppressed. But Yahweh set you free. And now he wants us to learn how to live free. And he does that because he brought us to himself and gave us his words to show us how to walk with. And he shows us how to live free. And that's what, also what was happening here. We read Hoshea 8.12. It says, I write to him, speaking of, of Ephraim, it says, I write to him so many things from my Torah, but he considers them foreign. How many times before you came to this kind of understanding of faith, if someone even mentioned the word Torah, you kind of went, eh? Why are you reading that? <laughs> right? Or to, or to say something from the Torah that, well, I never knew that was in there. Right? And we're looking at it and going, well, that's good. It seems kind of weird. Why are you, why? you know, you have something hanging down from there off your, off your you know, off your belt. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, why? It seems strange. It seems foreign. And here's the thing. This word here that's written here where it says it seems foreign means profane. So he says, I've written so many things from my Torah, but they consider them profane. Makes me think of scripture, it says, where they, they call good evil and evil good. Are we willing to pursue the Father and his word and his ways and, and come to the understanding of the ways of the world, the old nature, the old man, the old ways, all of these things, that's what's strange. When we turn from these things and we turn to Yahweh, now he gives us a new life. He has remade you. 
He has fashioned you. He's shaping you into what he has called you to be and desires for you to be. And he gives you his word. He equips you with his spirit and his presence to put his word in you to teach you how to walk with him. And because of this, we don't have to delay in walking with him. We don't have to fear either of making the wrong decision and making the wrong choice because if I do something and it's the wrong thing, I'm gonna get smashed into the ground. Wrong! If we, if we mess up, then there's this thing called repentance. You repent and you keep moving on. He is not going to condemn you because you made a mistake, but he will convict you until you don't make the same mistake over and over because then it's not a mistake. Then it's just you following your heart. (laughs) But he calls us away from these things to follow after him. That's why we have an advocate, guys, before the Father. And we thank him every day for his grace and his mercy and his presence to lead us in these things. Matthew 21, Yeshua says, Verily I say to you, if you have faith and doubt not, have faith and don't doubt you shall not only do this thing which is done to the fig tree, but also you say to the mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and it shall be done. James 1, 6 through 8 says, uh, If a man asks, let him ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose who will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. We can't keep going back and forth and back and forth. Yahweh, I'll serve you, but tomorrow. Yahweh, I'll serve you. Wait, this thing happened first, you know? Lay our lives down and serve him and follow him and walk after him. He won't mislead you. He won't forsake you. And, and he, we just need to trust him with our life. He has our best interests in mind. Psalm 119, 111. I take your instruction as a what? Permanent heritage. Because it is the joy of my heart. Can we say that the word of Yahweh is a joy to our heart? He says, it is a joy to my heart. I have resolved to obey your laws forever at every step. And I hate double-minded people, but I love your Torah. He's saying, and that's just a matter of saying, if we love the word of Yahweh, then we're going to love the word of Yahweh. You know, every, every week we do the blessing over the, over the men here. We read Psalm, Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who what? And all of these things testify of the Torah written on his heart. And even to the, the, the rivers flowing with him. So what we're testifying here of is, is a divided heart. Yeshua said, no one who put his hand to the plow and looked back is fit for the kingdom of God. We see in Psalm 119 too, it says, happy are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with a whole heart, not a divided heart, but be wholehearted. Romans 6, 16 to 18, says, do you not know that whosoever you yield yourselves as slaves for obedience, you are slaves to what you obey, whether to sin resulting in death or to obedience resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching under which you were placed. And after you were set free from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. Like, does that make sense to you? So we were a slave to sin. Once we, once we, once we repented, then we're now slaves to righteousness. <laughs> huh? That which you submit to is that which you serve. I know that seems like a kind of redundant statement, but think about it. What you yield yourself to is who you call Lord. What you yield yourself and give yourself to is who rules you. And if we are his servant, you know, Paul said, I am a bondservant. What do you think a bondservant was? Someone who willingly laid down their life for the one that they serve. And that's what we're called to to lay our lives down to serve him. And that means we follow him. We belong to him. And he will not lead us astray. And he will not force, but he will equip you for everything that this life will put you. But we need to learn to follow him and keep his ways in that. What about Eliyahu and Elisha? Elijah and Elisha, okay? In the Hebrew, it's Eliyahu and Elisha. That just kind of makes it easier for the distinction. Uh, what about them? What happened there? Read in 1 Kings 19, 19 to 21. 
So he departed from there and found Elisha, speaking of Eliyahu, after he went to the mountain and Yahweh spoke to him and he told him what things were to happen. So he went down, he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, and while he was plowing with 12 pairs of oxen before him, and, and he was with the 12th, and Eliyahu crossed, crossed over to him and he threw his mantle on him. So he left the oxen and ran after Eliyahu saying, let me please go kiss my father and my mother, then I will follow you and come back, he said to him, for what have I done to you? Now here's what's happening. He's saying, you know, follow me. It's not like you're going to be my apprentice. No, he's like, if you follow after me, then the mantle that was on his life would follow after him in this way too, right? He's going to follow him and Yahweh has a plan for him. Basically, he's saying, you're going to be my replacement when I'm gone. And he has these yoke of oxen and he says, okay, I'm going to follow you. What am I going to do with these? What's going to happen? And he says, go do what you're going to do, but hurry up. It doesn't have quite the same ring that the man who came to Yeshua said. Oh, I'll follow you, but first let me do this. It doesn't have quite the same ring. As a matter of fact, we see the actions that follow prove that it wasn't. Um, we also see this. Uh, he told him to go back, but don't forsake what he was called to. Just a reminder there. Second Timothy 1.6, it says, For this reason I remind you, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. In other words, there are times there are things will happen in life we need to deal with, but do not forget to whom you belong and to what has been purchased. Okay? Things may not always happen as quick as you think they should or as fast as you think they should, but let us continue to follow after him regardless. You know, well, things, things we call setbacks and delays, it's not what I'm addressing. I'm talking about keeping your heart steadfast before Yahweh and follow him in the midst of all of these. Verse 21, so he returned from following him and he took the pair of oxen and he sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the oxen's yoke and the gear and he gave it to the people and they ate and then he arose and went after Eliyahu and then he became his attendant. So did he really like sacrifice them? Like in the manner of like, did he put them on an altar to Yahweh? No, not really but he gave them up in a way where he could never return. In that manner of speaking, he sacrificed. He gave them up in such a way where returning back to his old life could not happen. He could not possibly return back to plow this field with this yoke of oxen because they didn't exist. In other words, he completely removed that to follow after. And it's like, that's quite a price. It's quite a price to pay. But he didn't just, you know, kill this out. No, he he slaughtered and he gave to the ones that were with him so that they would eat. And even in that, there was a blessing that was given to there. So Elisha, was he delaying his time? No, not really. He was showing kindness to his workers, but at the same time made sure his old life was done and there was no turn. That's, that's quite a finality there. Look, Peter, what happened there? Peter, after, after Yeshua's death, burial, and resurrection, they go back and they all come, come together and they're all kind of praying. They all get to a point where they're like, now what? So what happened? John 21, two through six. So Simon Peter... And uh, Thomas, called, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana of, of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two of the other disciples were together. Simon Peter says to him, well, I'm going fishing. They were all you know, just kind of sitting there. They were praying, doing all that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, Peter says, well, that's it. I'm going fishing. What was going on? I mean, what was really happening here? It's kind of like, okay, well, done everything else I know to do. Everything we thought was going to happen hasn't happened. We're just kind of sitting around here. I don't know what else to do. I guess I'm going to go back to fishing. It's not like he was going out for, you know, some relaxing time or vacation. No, this was his job. He was a fisherman. So he's like, I'm going to go back to the way things were, I guess. Huh. I don't know what else to do. So Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said, we're coming with you, they said. So they went out and they got into the boat that night and they caught what? You guys know the story? What'd they catch? Nothing. Not a thing. And for a fisherman, that's quite a blow, isn't it? You know, he gets paid to do this. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> and he caught nothing. So, at four, uh, verse 4. So at dawn, Yeshua stood at the beach, but the disciples didn't know that it was Yeshua. So Yeshua said to them, boys, you don't happen to have any fish, do you? Kind of like, jab. 
rub it in a little bit. Hey, what'd you guys catch? Who does this guy think he is? <laughs> you didn't catch nothing, right? Okay. And he said to them, well, why don't you throw the net on the other side of the boat? Now, there's a lot going on here, okay? We don't have the time to like really break it all down and get into it, but here's, here's kind of the gist of it. The way the boats were made, one side of the boat was smaller to throw the net over and to pull it in, right? The other side was higher, so it'd be more difficult to pull a full net up and over, right? He didn't say, turn the boat around. So it's not like the fish are on the other side of the boat. So just turn the boat around and then you'll catch fish. Which, think about this for, for a minute. As a fisherman, mean to tell me the fish aren't here, they're here. How big of a, a difference are we talking here, really? Okay? So he didn't do that. He said, well, throw it on the other side and you'll catch fish. Hmm. You can imagine what they were thinking. I don't, know if, I don't know if they were thinking, well, let's just humor this guy and just do it to get him out of our hair, you know? Because at this point it says they didn't know it was Yeshua, right? So they could have just... You know, kindness to strangers. This guy doesn't know what he's talking about, and he's kind of rubbing salt in the wound, so to speak. We didn't catch anything. And he says there's fish over here. So it could just be, well, let's just do this and kind of quiet him. Or it could be, yeah, I'll show you. There's no fish over here. See, no fish. Wait, wait, wait what? <laughs> What's going on? So, so throw the net on the other side, you'll find something. And then they were not able to haul it in because of such great a number. Amazing. So Yeshua wasn't done with them. There was, there was a few things that were happening here. Yeshua wasn't done with them, and he was reminding them that they were being called to be fishers of men. How so? Look at John 21, 9 through 12. So as soon as they had come to the land, they saw the fire of coals there, and the fish laid there on and bread. So Yeshua said, you guys caught any fish? They're like, no, they caught all this fish. They could barely bring it over, and they get their land, and he's got fish. <laughs> and he's cooking it. Huh, how'd that happen? And Yeshua says, so bring the fish which you have caught. I believe that's a prophetic statement as well. Bring the fish. That and when Peter went up and he drew the net to land in the, in the full grade of fishes, 153. Why do we make a point to even acknowledge how many fish there were? 153. For there were so many, yet the net was not broken. And Yeshua says to them, come and dine. And none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because at that point, they knew that it was Yeshua. Okay. So what was the result of obedience? They got the fish. The result of obedience is they caught the fish and they were able to bring this fish up and to bring it to Yeshua. And it's kind of like when they got up on the land, Yeshua says, bring me the fish that you have caught and come and dine to the meal that I have prepared before you. Think prophetically now. Yahweh used where they were to get their attention. He used their, what was happening in their life to get them to think about these. And remember back to what Yeshua told Peter when he called him? He said, come with me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. Now, I want to put just something interesting here. The phrase sons of God, the value of the phrase sons of God is 153. How many fish did they catch? How many? 153. So you could say this could be just a reminder, like Romans 8, 19 says, that creation waits eagerly for the sons of God to be revealed, that he told his disciples to go catch and to bring to him and to come and dine before him. Yeshua's disciples were told a few things. Matthew 10, 6, he says to go to whom? The lost sheep of the house of Israel. Matthew 28, 19 and 20, he says, therefore go. And he says go. He, it, this isn't literally like go like into all these other nations. Well, there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not exactly the way that it's written here. The way that it's written here literally is as you are going. In other words, it's not just a matter of, I have to go to some foreign country. What, God doesn't have people in those countries? I'm not saying he can't call someone to someplace else, not at all. But what I'm saying is we're missing the point though. The point though is as you are going in your life, you don't have to like, I'm gonna serve Yahweh and I can only serve Yahweh if I do some great big grand gesture. No. You can serve Yahweh right now in your community. You can serve Yahweh right now in your city. If he's called you to somewhere else, then fine, do it. Be faithful, but that 
doesn't mean it has to be some great, big, grand thing. How many times do you know that Yahweh's just called us to be faithful in the little thing? And to be faithful in the little things before he can do the bigger thing. Maybe he just wants us to be faithful around us as you are going. That means you're going to go to the nation. That means you're going to be in the cities. You're going to be in the towns. You're going to live your life in many different ways. And as you are going, proclaim, because he's going to use you, the world. But that kind of changes the perspective. Now it's not like, okay, I have to do this, and then when I get there. Instead, it changes the process. Now it's everything in the process to get there. We follow him day by day, no matter where. And then when we get there, we can do. Okay, so the lost sheep and the multitude of the nations. In other words, those that were scattered uh, being drawn back, and those who are assimilated into the earth will be drawn back. We find repentance of, of people is ultimately what we're calling to, ultimately, but yet Yahweh said that he has planted seeds for harvest in the world. And he's calling his people. And that's what we're a part of. He's calling his people. Look, Genesis 48, 16. It says, The angel which redeemed me, Israel is speaking, Jacob is speaking, from all evil, bless the lad, speaking to Ephraim and Manasseh. And it says, Let my name be named on them, in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac. Let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. This phrase, multitude, is vayidgu. Literally, it's, it means to be like spawned like fish, to be numerous like fish. But yet, fish aren't on the, on the earth. Fish are in the sea. So what's the picture that we get from that? As numerous as the fish in the sea on the earth, on the land. Genesis 48, 19. When Yosef brings his sons and his father crosses his hands and he tells them, you're blessing the wrong kid, right? He speaks the blessing over him and he corrects him. What does he say? He say, Jacob, he refuses him and he says, I know my son, I know, but he will be, also become a people. Speaking of Manasseh, he, he will be blessed. He was the firstborn, but he will have a blessing as well. But he speaks specifically to his, his other son. And he's all, he, and, but truly his younger brother will be greater than he and his seed shall become, what's the word there? The multitude of nations. The phrase multitude of nations is maloha goyim, filling of the nation, which by the way, is exactly what is read in Romans 11.25. If you read from the Septuagint, you'll find this phrase where he talks about the blindness in part has happened in all Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. That phrase, the fullness of the Gentiles in the Septuagint, it's the same words that we see in the multitude of nations in Genesis 48.19. What does that mean? It means that all those that were scattered into the nations will have a place where Yahweh is going to call back. And when he calls back, there are people who will repent from their lives apart from him and the nations. And they will repent and they will return to Yahweh. And then there will be those who will join with them and come back to Yahweh in a place of repentance to serve him wholeheartedly. We read in Zechariah where it says that 10 men from all of the nations will take hold of the skirt of him who was a Jew. And they will say, we will go with you for we have heard that Yahweh is with you. How can 10 men possibly represent all the nations of the earth and all languages? There's only one way. Because even when we talk about, scripturally speaking, when he talks about the nations of the earth, they generally reference the 70 nations from, from the sons of Noah, the 70 that would come from him, right? But here it says 10 men from all the nations. How? When Israel was split, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, there were 10 nations in the northern kingdom ruled by Jeroboam from the tribe of Ephraim, who because of idolatry went into all the world, was dispersed into all the world, cast out of the land. And Yahweh says, over and over again from that point forward. There's so many prophecies throughout Deuteronomy, throughout the prophets, and over and over and over again, we see those who he has dispersed, he will return home and he will call. Those who were scattered, he will call back. And then we see in the prophecy of Ezekiel, it's not just the descendants of Israel who Yahweh is calling back. It's all of those and 
all those who were joined with them. Romans 11, guys, you're grafted into what? And so that's what we see. Who are we, we going to follow? We as a people understand we're one people set apart to Yahweh, his people called by his name. If we're redeemed, if we're born again, then we are part of his covenant people. But guess what he calls that? He calls that Israel. And we're going to a time when more and more people are coming against us. But Yahweh has called us to stand as his people, Israel, and follow him. Look, John 10, 14 to 16. Yeshua says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and they have known of mine. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, to them I must also bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Ezekiel 47, 21 to 23. So you shall divide the land unto you according to the tribes of Israel. And it shall come to pass that you shall divide it by lot for an inheritance unto you and, you, and, and then to the strangers that sojourn among you. So these who are not born Israel, but yet when Yahweh has called his people back to this place of Israel, are they going to have a place to be? Yes. It says that even the strangers that are among you, they will, be, they will beget children among you and they shall be to you as born in the country among the children of Israel. And they shall have inheritance with you among the tribes of Israel. And it shall come to pass that in what tribe the stranger sojourns, there you will give his inheritance, says the Lord. So question we have here now. So what's holding you back from fully committing to you? After we've read the things of these gentlemen and, and the things that happen in their life and some other scriptures to kind of back up some things that happen with them and what we're calling to, what is holding you back from committing fully to Yahweh? Will you commit today to be his disciple? Will you answer the call, follow me? Scripture says, today, if you hear his voice, are you willing to do this? Philippians 3, 13 to 16. It says, brothers, I, for my part, do not think of myself as having yet gotten hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind me and straining forward toward what lies ahead. I keep pursuing the goal in order to win the prize offered by God's upward calling, the Messiah Yeshua. Therefore, as many of us are mature, let us keep paying attention to this. And if you are differently minded about anything, God will reveal this to you. Only let your conduct fit the level which we have already reached. What does that mean? Let your conduct fit the level which you have already reached. That means that he has called you to learn and grow and mature and produce good fruit. So what are some of the things we've seen in that? Yes, we've read Galatians 5, 22. We talked about the fruit of the Spirit. We talked a little bit about that last week as well. But what are some of the things that we find here? I mean, even in relationship to Yeshua, if we're supposed to live like he lived, walk like he walked. I mean, if we go out here and we're like, tell me some of the things that, that Yeshua did, right? We just go people on the street, tell me a little bit, you know, some things that he did. You might hear things like these miracles, the signs and wonders and these other, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with this. I'm not, I'm not coming against any of that. We should be seeing these things. Yahweh's still working in our midst. But the thing is this, if you say, what are some of the things that Yeshua did? Do you think you might hear, oh, he kept the Sabbath. You think you might hear, Oh, he honored the festival. This really quick, and then we'll be done for the day here, guys. We need to follow, we need to be a disciple, and we need to produce fruits. What are the, so what are some of the things that Yeshua did? Yeshua did the will of the Father, but he didn't come to change the will of the Father. He didn't come to change what Yahweh said. He came to show us how to do it, right? John 5.30 said, I came of my, own, of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge. My judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of my Father which has sent me. John 6.38 says, I came from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 7, 16, Yeshua says, my doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. And these are, these are testimonies of Yeshua. And if we're to follow him and, be, his, and to be the example, you know, he set that example for us and we're to follow him and to be example for others, are we doing the same things? John 12, 49 to 50, Yeshua says, I've not spoken of myself, but the father which sent me gave me commandment of what I should say, what I should speak. And I know this commandment is life everlasting. Whoever I speak, therefore, even as the father says to me, so I speak. 
The commandment is life everlasting. And this is what, the, what Yahweh gave to Yeshua to speak in the midst of the people. John 14, 23, Yeshua says, If a man loves me, he will keep my words. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. And he that loves me not keeps not my sayings. And the word you hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. See that? So nowhere did Yeshua come to change the word. He came to show us how to walk it. He came to show us how to live it. And he came to show us the heart of the Father in the midst of it. Yeshua kept the festivals. We see in Luke 2, 40 to 42, as the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, the grace of God was upon him. Now the parents went to Jerusalem every year for the feast of Passover. They went to Jerusalem when? How often? Every year for the feast of Passover. So he kept Passover in Jerusalem every year. We even see in John 10, 22, where he was at the Temple Mount during Hanukkah, because we read, and it was in winter, and it was the Feast of Hanukkah, and he was there. Yeshua honored Shabbat, and he went to the synagogue on Shabbat. Luke 4, 16. So he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and as his custom was, what does that mean? What's a custom? It means that's what you do. What did he do? He went to the synagogue on Shabbat, and he was, he was involved. He, he stood up to read. He wanted to, to read. And we also see this advice here given to the new, what, what, what you may have heard, the new Gentile believers in Acts 15, 21. You know, in Acts 15, the Jerusalem council was like, what are we going to do with all these Gentiles? They want to serve God. They don't know how, and they're causing a ruckus. What are we going to do with these guys? And James, the half-brother of Yeshua, if you want to put it that way, he stood up and he said, okay, so here's the thing that we should do. We should give them these four things. Go back and read Acts 15. We should give them these four things, which was the starting place of obedience, right? Abstain from uh, fornication, uh, idolatry, things from strangled from blood, you know, all these things. And then the fifth thing he says, go to the synagogue on Shabbat to hear the Torah taught. Why? Because that's how we learn the heart of the Father. That's how we are, are there to gather together and to learn what the Torah says, so that we can live it, so that we can get it written on our hearts, so that we can walk in it. People sought Torah from him. The religious leaders were continually asking him about the Torah, right? To try to find fault in his teachings. Could they find fault in his teachings? No. <laughs> Matter of fact, even so, in trying to come to try to find fault in his teachings, Yeshua pointed them back to the Torah for their answers. He didn't say, the Torah says this, but I'll, I'll, I'll teach you something different that I think is you're going to like better. Actually, the things that Yeshua taught held them to a higher accountability to the Torah. As one example, Matthew twenty-two thirty-six 36 to 40, which is the great commandment of the law. Yeshua said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang or depend all the law and the prophets. If you're doing these two things, then what everything else in the Torah you can put in one of these two categories. So if you're doing this, you will be on the right path. Yeshua kept the Torah. 1 John 3, verses 3 through 5. It says, anyone who has this hope in him continues purifying himself since God is pure. Everyone who keeps sinning is violating the Torah. Indeed, sin is what? Violation of the Torah. Now, we kind of addressed this a little bit ago in a manner of speaking. If we, if we go and we ask people what is sin, they might give you a list of what some sins are, and that would be the thing. These, these are sins, but if you say what is sin, like the defining this is sin, it would be this violation of the Torah. If you violate the Torah, that is sin. Well, like we said earlier, to violate the Torah, all you have to do is simply not do it. So if Yeshua did not do what was in the Torah, he would violate it. And he never did. He never violated the Torah at all. It means he upheld it. And according to Deuteronomy 13, if he had violated the Torah, then that would disqualify him from being the Messiah. So verse 5 says, you know that he appeared in order to take away sin and that there is no sin in him. And lastly, 1 John 1, 5 through 7. 
This then is the message which you have heard of him. What kind of disciples should we be? What kind of, we're learning to follow him, but it's not just a list of do's and don'ts or just a list of rules or whatever. It is following after the heart of the Father, receiving his heart to our life, learning to walk after him, and then showing that. 1 John 1, 5 through 7. This then is the message we have heard of him and declaring to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not do the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, that we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Yeshua, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We learn to follow after him and walk with him, do the things that he did, and that's it. We can make it harder along the way. Matter of fact, we often do, but it's really not hard to comprehend. Follow him. It means we lay our life down. It means we learn to do, to show the heart of the Father, so we learn to walk in it.